Last month, we launched an event called Breakthrough, where we showcased some of our companies that were ready and gearing up for Series A. During that event, we had a panel, covered a lot of different things, but mostly focused around the future of healthcare. And unfortunately, the audio for that panel uh, cut out at the very beginning, which meant that Lena from Adia and Diego from Ezra were not able to fully introduce themselves, although we do get to hear Hamish introduce what uh, Thriva is working on and what they're about. So in an effort to help uh, Lena and Diego, I'm just going to give a quick brief on who they are, and then we'll cut straight to Hamish. So we backed uh, Lena, Lena Chan from Adia Health, because we were really excited about how they were helping couples manage the journey towards fertility and health. And the co-founding team is super strong in really understanding how there's a, a marriage between science and also mental health and also lifestyle choices that can determine the successful outcome of many people's fertility journeys. On the flip side of that, we were able to welcome Diego Cantor, one of the co-founders of Ezra, and Ezra is a New York-based uh, computer vision AI healthcare uh, company that focuses on determining whether uh, you have cancer. I've actually gone ahead and done my own Ezra test, so uh, I can attest to how well it works. But basically, what they're looking to do is revolutionize and democratize the way that we get screened for cancer, not only by making it less painful, but more accurate and more insightful. So with that, let's cut to Hamish. Uh, hi guys, I'm Hamish, uh, CEO and co-founder of uh, Thriver. Um, Thriver has a really straightforward place in the world. We are trying to create a business um, where anyone can understand how better health is in their hands. And the way that we do that, uh, practically speaking, uh, today is we use at-home uh, blood testing and saliva kits um, that turn around within 48 hours um, so that we can help people go from a place of wondering what's going on uh, or knowing nothing to a place of knowing exactly how uh, a decision that they might be making or how a condition that they might be suffering from affects them uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. I think the, the one point just to touch on, we're not a blood testing company, we use that as a tool. Uh, it's a clinical indication, uh, but foundationally, uh, I think the thing that is probably common amongst all three of us uh, is that we are, um, I, I think, at the forefront of a wave, which is people taking control of their own health. We're not healthcare companies in the traditional sense. Diego, um, since you just went, I'll skip you only temporarily, but we'll, we'll tackle a question that uh, Hamish uh, asked me while we were listening to your presentation. And part of the thing that health has been uh, organized around is around a professional whose job is to curate the differences between uh, something that you're overreacting to versus something that is actually requiring immediate action. Uh, Thriver, for example, I, I, I'm a customer and and uh, Hamish's product has helped me identify some things, but in other areas, I probably overreacted in some in some figures. With with something like cancer, I mean that's a huge a challenge. Is how do you get people to not go to too far in that sense? Hamish, I think you had asked the question. Maybe I'll let you ask it. I feel like I'm throwing a compatriot under the bus here. Sorry, Diego. Uh, the challenge with PSA, right, is that you can often detect the cancer that you might die with and not from, um, because it's really slow growing and it's there, but it isn't a problem. Um, and I was just really curious, like, how do you guys deal with, with that? 
So uh, specifically with PSA, uh, the, the problem is that in case that that test comes back positive, you are required to do further testing. So uh, unfortunately in the United States, unlike in countries like the UK, Australia and Canada, a MR screening is not part of the standard of care. So that means that people have to go through very uh, painful <coughs> procedures in order to know if they might have cancer. So the alternative for us is to use MRI, which is a non-invasive technique. Uh, and it's, it's safe, you don't have the, the problems that you would have with a biopsy, which are in, in the particular case of prostate cancer. A biopsy could lead to infection, to urinary problems, and even to um, sexual dysfunction. So because of this, our premise is to show, as, as you said before, we are a very reactive uh, healthcare industry is very reactive. So you wait until the people are sick to then put money into the treatment. We're trying to change that paradigm and we, we, we want to work in preventative healthcare. Uh, not only because it's the right, the right thing to do, but also because it makes sense from the business perspective. When you look at the numbers, the amount of money that goes into cancer treatment is way uh, more than the money required to do cancer screening. So that's that's where we are currently. So let's play with that idea of reactive versus proactive. Um, Lena, this is kind of one of the areas that you, you guys are focusing on. Gavin put up this really good chart when he was talking about mental health and you know looking at technologies that are helping people be proactive, but we're culturally set up to, to be mostly a reactive society. Like when shit hits the fan, then you take action. Um, and some of these health problems uh, require some planning and, and that planning then prevents the problems. And, and so how can startups start educating people to change those habits and, and what are the key emotional triggers in someone's life that might be able to, to be a catalyst for that? Yeah. Well, so we, I think of a woman's life as having certain stages that can be very triggering and definitely the decision to try to have a family is one that can lead to a lot of positive triggers because that's when a lot of families, or women especially, will adopt um, uh, good uh, health behaviors, but it can also be very disappointing and very emotionally um, disappointing if you encounter troubles. And like you said, our current care pathways have two main issues, and one is extremely reactive. Women will typically be trying for a year or have to miscarry three times before they actually see a specialist. And there's a real disconnect between mental health and physical health. So often when you go see a doctor, they'll treat you for your physical health, but they don't um, look at you as a, as a, a whole person with the mental aspect too. And if you actually just look at the science, there's a lot of science that actually shows, but particularly in women's health, that um, treating emotional health leads to better outcomes. So you'll have better uh, rates of conception as well as actual better pregnancy outcomes. And there's a massive knowledge gap um, in that. And one of the big reasons why there's a knowledge gap is because there's, it's a really taboo subject. Um, so I think as a company, we have a couple of responsibilities. One is really kind of breaking down that taboo and re-educating women and really kind of closing that knowledge gap, whether that's by sharing our stories, um, enabling women to get better educated with better content, better access to doctors to answer their questions rather than a GP that often will fall them off. Um, and then also giving them data a lot sooner. Um, so blood testing companies uh, can help with that. Even just quizzes online can help women understand that better. So if you can identify they have an issue a lot sooner, you can then get that care. Um, and we really try to educate women on the link between emotional and uh, physical health. So you, you brought up a topic which 
which uh, we had discussed previously around uh, a holistic approach to new to new medicine and, and new startups that are tackling uh, health problems. So you mentioned the link between mental health and fertility, and there's many other links. Uh, for example, nutrition. We've talked about the same in the past. The, the link between nutrition and some uh, some of the results that you get, and then ultimately nutrition can also affect um, cancer. And and I guess is it. What's going to stitch all these things together? What's going to be like? What's the future of health? Is it Babylon is going to own it at the macro level and stitch it all together for us as a sort of a continuity flow that knows everything about you and then suggests things like, oh, now you need to have your blood test with Thriva, we need to go get your scan for cancer, or is it going to come from point reactive sources like fertility and then? From within Aria, now you have a holistic approach to the customer. What's the evolution going to look like? Well, I, I can say what we try to do at Aria, and then um, I'm sure you guys will have your. So, what we try to do is we really try to map out the journey for a woman. So, when she comes, um, she answers a couple of onboarding questions in which we try to assess what their physical well being is, their physical well being. Um, and then we will point them to certain products that might help them or quizzes that will then help us understand. And when they're asking questions to our doctors, our doctors will actually have the whole background of the person. So if somebody has very high BMI, they will get tips on how to um, help manage that. If they're feeling very stressed, we can then point them to the meditations that we have on the platform. So it's really also providing the person, the, the, the person who's leading you through that journey with that full picture. Because I think a lot of the problems we have now in the current care pathways is that you see one person and they don't know who else you've seen. And the, the, the patient might not be the best communicator of that situation. So it's, it's the platform providing that holistic data, if you were. Um, yeah, really interesting perspective in that. Look, I think, um, I don't think it's going to be Babylon. Um, uh, for one really simple reason, everything that you just talked about as a, a heuristic is predicated on um, uh, a dichotomy that just doesn't exist in reality, and the dichotomy is that you're either sick or you're well. And the problem that the uh, system that we have uh, so well ingrained is that it is set up to assume that to be true. And when you get sick, you go to the primary or secondary care services, and that's how you get fixed. And that's bullshit, because if you go and talk to people, they all have health. Everyone has health. They ask questions of themselves. They have suboptimal realities. Um, and the businesses that are going to win, that are ultimately going to stand the opportunity or stand, stand up to the opportunity um, of actually navigating you through a question that you might have or a, um, uh, you know, getting you toward a goal, whether that's a better marathon time or getting pregnant or recovering from a, um, a health episode, are going to be the businesses who figure out how to swim upstream and get into your life. Um, when currently you aren't necessarily thinking about it. Um, you know, the first bounce of the ball is probably the wearables industry, right? They've figured out with slightly shiny, sexy technology um, how to have you start quantifying something that you weren't before, right? So they're starting to swim upstream into the well-being space. All three of us, I'm really sorry to um, label us as something that we haven't talked about, but we're in the well-being space. And we're only in the well-being space because we're not in the healthcare space, right? Healthcare, sick and serious care systems, they catch you when you're sick. So if we're not that, then the thing above that is currently classified as well-being. I think um, we're in the business of defining a category which is clinical well-being, right? Which is, let's not have David Gandhi on the front of a, a pill packet because we've got no evidence. Actually, we can use very, very credible tools um, to be able to say, with a very high degree of accuracy, this is your reality at a point in time when you're not sick, and to keep you therefore out of the existing systems. Cancer is 
very scary. And um, I had a personal experience with that, with, with, with my mom as well. She, uh, the, the year where she wasn't scanned, that's when she got her cancer. And then my father-in-law, most recently, uh, his doctor asked him to do a biopsy. And I said, no, don't do that. Go for an MRI. He went back to his doctor and the doctor said, oh, we don't do that here. You have to go for the biopsy. So I said, forget it. You are getting the MRI. He got the MRI. He didn't have the cancer. So to answer your question, um, I think that the future of healthcare is a future where we empower patients to make their own decisions and where we put technology to the service of both patients and physicians. And right now, what we're trying to do with Ezra is, is just that. Instead of uh, Jeffrey Hinton, one of the forefathers of AI, said a few years ago that radiologists would have, were going to be replaced by AI. Five years down the road, that never happened. Um, in reality, AI is one more tool the same time, the same way that many other tools in the past, uh, technology tools have appeared. And we are doing the right thing. We're putting technology in the hands of uh, patients and doctors to, to make life better. So I want to touch upon something that you and Hamish said. So one, you said it's about empowering the patient, and then uh, Hamish, you mentioned distinction between the the realm of the well-being and the realm of, of the healthcare as a as an institution or as a ecosystem of providers. How do you how do you bridge that? Because empowering a patient implies that the patient is capable of discerning what suite of services they need. Right? Cancer is one of those that is highly marketed, so you could kind of People know that somebody has cancer, you can go and get screened. But there's a lot of other things that, that increasingly become complex for one person to master and therefore source themselves, and hence why the healthcare system exists. But as long as all the startups are existing in this sort of realm of, of well-being, proactive well-being, you can't penetrate into the and democratize the, the real health healthcare. So what's what's necessary to happen? Is it regulation? Is it integration? Is it lobbying government to be included as part of like a minimum service level or, or, or including in schools? What's missing? Can I take a, yeah. a, a, a stab at that? Um, um, yeah, I was at a, a healthcare breakfast just now with uh, Matthew Gould, the um, CEO of uh, NHSX, uh, which is, um, for those of you guys who haven't come across it yet, the sort of pioneering arm of, uh, of NHS. And um, what was amazing is the entirety of the conversation and everyone around the room is basically there to try and fix the existing ship. And no one there is talking about stopping people from getting into the existing systems or how you think about what we're so obvious uh, as a conversation starter, which is how do these two things work in, in unison? Um, so I don't think the NHS is thinking about this at, at the moment. Um, to your point on um, how might it evolve, I think it comes down to proof. Um, the NHS is relatively good at adopting new technology once there is a really solid health outcome um, and health economic model that underpins it, not wonderful, but you know, good enough. And um, the point at which we can say taxpayer money can be saved as a consequence of us thinking about people as on a spectrum and not binary, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be incumbent on us to uh, soak up enough fundraising to be able to prove our cases out. Um, and then we'll be the early runners in a, in a market that is um, into the trillions in almost every country. You're right, like, you know, it's, it's difficult to navigate the healthcare system. So it's not just to have the tools and have the technology, but also we need to help people to, to navigate it. 
once you have a diagnosis of cancer, you are thrown into a loop. You don't know what to do, where to go. You know, it's, it's very scary and it's very uh, confusing. And it's not only confusing for the person, but also for, for the family. Cancer is a, is, a, is a situation that involves the whole family. So at, what we're doing at Ezra is, you know, we're, it's not only having the technology there to service you, but also to have the clinical team that is your team. So we get the radiology report, and instead of just putting it in front of you and there you go, and you have to figure out what to do with it, uh, our clinical team walks you through the system. Our clinical team uh, gets you in touch with the specialists that you need to see in case that you require one. So that's part of our service. We are not a, an AI company, a nice solution looking for a problem. We're actually starting for the pre from the premise that uh, we want to uh, make things better and we want to disrupt the, the healthcare system. Uh, now, in terms of regulation, that was the other part of your question. Regulators have to catch up many times with companies that are disrupting the status quo. It has happened in transportation. Um, with, with companies like Lyft and Uber, the regulators had to, had to uh, catch up with them. Uh, it happens with Airbnb. Like, regulators are always one step behind. Uh, in the particular case of um, AI and uh, radiology, uh, the FDA this year put together a, a number of recommendations. This is a kind of like a public conversation involving researchers, clinicians, experts in the industry. Uh, and they have put together a, a, a set of good machine learning practices that are currently being discussed. So they are, they are catching up. Catching up. I'll add one thing, because I think um, insurance companies do play a role in this. We, we definitely see it in our space, um, where they're starting to see that if they actually help fund proactive screening, proactive care, it actually ends up reducing costs down, down the line for them. So um, the more insurance companies or even employers can help people with early screening and get just have that as part of your package, I think it does actually help the trend. Yeah, now I'll make a couple of comments about our portfolio, which companies that aren't here, but that are addressing the very point you just mentioned. Um, we've seen a trend of, uh, of employers playing a key role in this. Uh, some of you might have seen our company, Pepe, that helps with that in terms of both fertility and also in terms of menopause. But yeah, I, I agree, it's 100% critical um, engaging with insurance and, and perhaps adapting it in the way Vitality has, has ad adapted it, but less gimmicky and more towards you know specific actions that can lead yeah. to that. Maybe to conclude, if you guys had to predict for the next year, maybe let's play it out two years, the key innovation or thing that will surface in this space that will will be a game changer for personal health, what would it be? I'll give you three categories. You can either pick regulatory, you can pick either a new service that's gonna link things together, or it can be a new technology that, that you just, you, can, you know it's imminent but hasn't quite yet gotten there yet. I've got one, but it's really selfish because it's definitely going to change our business, um, uh, but probably won't change the echoes and might change the business. So at the moment, the most painful part of our process, both in terms of trying to persuade investors that it's true, uh, but also the customers, is that people have to prick their fingers and bleed into a tube, um, and they have to pay for the privilege of doing that. Um, and that is clunky. There is no two ways about that. Um, it's a hell of a lot easier than going somewhere and putting a needle in your arm and. Yeah, yeah. So the biggest innovation that we see um, are one of two or three companies who have pioneered 
um, what I'd rather apologetically uh, call mechanical leeches. So they are little patches, one time use, that will sit on your arm, penetrate the skin, probably still with an answer, but there's no nerve endings up there, uh, and draw uh, the blood out painlessly, collect it into a little tube. You're still going to see a post doctor centralized laboratories because they are um, very much uh, the gold standard. Um, but it takes the, um, the at home collection process into a, into a very different realm. I think that in the near future, we're going to start seeing a transition towards um, AIs that are, AI is going to be commoditized. I don't think it's going to matter uh, which company has the best AI. I think it's going to matter. What's going to matter is who is more uh, tightly integrated to the current uh, clinical workflow. So there are many companies whose premise is to, they sell a product that contains AI. And particularly in healthcare, that implies a very large sales cycle and an even larger user adoption cycle. So instead of that, it, I think that um, there's a huge opportunity to, to companies that uh, work on the integration with the clinic, current clinical workflow. Yeah, I was going to say that because I, I mean, at least in our, our business, we definitely at some point, they still need to interact with the current systems. Um, and I think companies that will do very well is that that integration is quite seamless and it, it is a lot sooner than when you're very, very sick. Uh, and companies that will actually really win, I think, are those that can really personalize that journey and make it as curated to the person's problem as possible because we still work very much in general parameters. Great. All right, let's give them a big round of applause. Thanks for joining us, guys. <laughs>